What are you fearing right now? What is causing you anxiety? Obviously fear of COVID infections and the threat that it can do to some people's lives has caused a massive lockdown in our whole nation. And then now the economic slowdown has raised other fears about job security, financial worries, and the increased isolation has put extra stress on people with fragile mental health. Fear and anxiety and dread are the response that we have when we, fear, when we face circumstances that are out of our control. And so what I want us to look at today is how Jesus is greater than our fears. And I think we need regular reminders uh, that nothing we face is beyond his authority and his power. Mark's biography of Jesus from the eyewitness testimony of Simon Peter, one of the disciples, uh, records the details that we've got here. So many dramatic events, you wouldn't forget these things, and they're littered with little eyewitness details, as we'll see. Four dramatic historical events are put side by side to get our attention. They are four fear-provoking situations, and they're all beyond human control. The terrible deeds, disaster, demons, disease, and death. So let me just sketch out these fearsome circumstances. Firstly, disaster. Look back at uh, chapter 4 and verse 37. We considered it last week. Jesus is crossing over the lake of Galilee with his disciples and a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. These disciples, they were seasoned fishermen. They'd worked this lake all their adult lives and they think that they're going to die. Jesus was so exhausted that he was still asleep on a cushion. Notice that eyewitness detail. And as they wake Jesus, they shouted him in verse 38, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? They're looking at disaster and death in the face, and there isn't much they can do about it. Second, demons. From the wild forces of the natural world, we next meet a wild force of the supernatural. Here is a fearsome man who cannot be contained by any human force and they tried many times this man lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore not even with a chain for he had verse 4 for he had often chained been chained hand and foot but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons at his feet no one was strong enough to subdue him night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones now here's someone you wouldn't want to meet at halloween Here's a man described like one of the wildest of animals, an outcast from society, a frightening man, so terrorizing that many times people had unsuccessfully tried to imprison and chain him. What a wretched soul, what a tortured soul, screaming, self-harming, cut himself, cutting himself with stones. And there he is living amongst the tombs. He's, he's, he's like the living dead. And of all the places to land their boat, uh, the disciples land their boat close to these tombs. They've just had a terrifying experience on the storm and they finally get to the safety of land and the next thing they see is this wild man rushing straight at them. Third of the terrible deeds, disease. Mark gives a story of two females, one of them an older woman with a chronic debilitating disease. Look at verse 25. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Here was a lady who for 12 years had been living in quiet desperation. She had turned to the doctors and tried all the treatments but her private misery persisted. 
the best that medicine could offer her in that day had nothing done nothing to her but impoverish her. Verse 26, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all that she had. But instead of getting better, she grew worse. 12 years of living like this and no one, no doctor could do anything for her. Her story is intertwined in the most desperate situation of all, death. A synagogue ruler is also desperate. So he desperately, so desperate is he that he falls at the feet of Jesus. And as 5 verse 23 says, he uh, pleads with Jesus, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. My little daughter, come Jesus. There isn't much time left. His darling little girl is fading away. I mean, what wouldn't you do for the, the children that you love? And then there's a brief moment of hope. Jesus agrees to come. But it's hard to get somewhere quickly with the large crowds that surrounded Jesus. And as they walk, Jesus stops and he looks around and asks, who touched me? And he keeps looking at the crowd around him. Precious minutes are being wasted as Jesus speaks to a woman. What about his little daughter? And then the worst news comes from the house. The news he'd been dreading in verse 35. Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? After all, what use is a teacher? in death. All these things, things that we greatly fear, threatening situations that are completely out of our control. But of course this last one's the worst, isn't it? The death of a young daughter. What terrible pain and despair can come from this? And what good is a teacher? I mean, if he's just a teacher, don't bother him. These are all fearsome circumstances out of human control. But notice what transforms each of these situations. Jesus transforms them. Jesus and his words make all the difference. And here's my second point today. Let's go back to the storm. Teacher, teacher, they shout. Don't you care if we drown? Well, what does Jesus do? Does he heroically seize the helm and, and wrestle the beleaguered vessel uh, out of the storm? No. He got up, verse 39. He rebuked the wind and the waves, quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Jesus speaks to nature like an owner speaks to an obedient dog. What makes the difference? Jesus and his words make the difference. And then from the raging sea uh, to this raging man, there he is screaming and running at, straight at the disciples and Jesus. But look at chapter 5 and verse 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. Here's the one that no one could subdue. And he runs and falls at the feet of Jesus. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me, he begs. This is a struggle of titanic proportions. When Jesus asks him his name, the reply is legion, for we are many. Well, in a Roman army, a legion comprised of about 6,000 men. This poor man was tormented by many um, impure evil spirits. But right at the beginning, Jesus is in complete control. All these evil spirits can do is cause the man to cower before Jesus and beg him permission to stay nearby. Verse 13 um, gives us this very strange incident as Jesus permits these evil spirits to enter the pigs uh, by the, in the field nearby. 
and that results in the whole herd being destroyed as they run like lemmings over a cliff into the lake. 2,000 pigs. Devastating if you're a pig farmer. Now this is not a kosher meat statement. I think Jesus allowed it to show how fearsome and destructive Satan's intent is on our lives. Satan means for our destruction. We see it in the way that this man was totally dehumanized, how he's seeking to destroy himself. And the horror of these demons on the inside is seen at the impact of, of what they got into the herd of pigs as they, they rushed to, to, to destroy. Demons intend to deface the image of God in men and women and ultimately seek their destruction. But the remarkable thing here, of course, is not the pigs. It's the transformation of the man. Uh, just look again at uh, how he ends in verse 15. I mean, the crowds from the nearby city come and see what had happened. And they see a formerly demon-possessed man sitting by Jesus, dressed and in his right mind. Now, that is something that they had not seen for a very long time. What makes the difference? Well, verse 8 tells us Jesus was saying to him, Come out of the man, you impure spirit. Jesus and his words make all the difference. The older woman with the uh, medical condition is a little different. She's bold enough to simply reach out and touch the clothes that Jesus is wearing. For she believes that doing that will heal her of her disease. It was a very bold move. The nature of her uh, medical problem, her bleeding, uh, would be that she was considered to be ceremonially unclean. Uh, she would not have been able to attend the temple worship for all those 12 years. And anything that she touched would have been considered unclean. It would have kept her locked up at home, really. But her faith that Jesus could heal her is such that she gets outside and she follows in the crowd and she reaches out and touches Jesus and his clothes as he passes by. Now, all of this appears to happen uh, her healing without Jesus saying a word. But consider with me for a moment, why does Jesus stop to discover who touched him? The disciples were clearly irritated by his behavior because, you know, an important person has a critical problem. We don't have time to stop Jesus. And yet he is not so rushed that he is, um, he cannot make time to meet this woman. I mean, she came to him wanting healing. Jesus stops because he wants to enter into relationship with this woman. And as he keeps looking around, she, trembling with fear, comes forward, falls on her knees, and tells her story to Jesus. And just think of the impact of his words uh, on her life. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. No censure, no rebuke. Her faith in Jesus has brought her salvation. Literally, he says, go into peace, go into shalom. She moves from someone whose life is dominated by a medical burden into the blessing of peace and restoration in the community. And again, what makes the difference? Jesus and his words make all the difference. Jesus finally makes it to the ruler's house and already the professional mourners are there, weeping and wailing. People really were paid to be professional mourners at this time. But Jesus manages to make them laugh, even if it's a derisory one. Verse 39, why all this commotion and wailing? Uh, the child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. How absurd. 
They knew a corpse when they saw one. This girl was dead. But after getting everyone out of the room except the parents and a few disciples, he takes the hand of the dead girl and speaks. Peter remembers the exact words in Aramaic which they spoke at that time. Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, rise up. And immediately she got up and started walking around to the complete astonishment of everyone, of everyone in the room. Can you imagine the reaction of the parents? Could there have been a happier couple at that moment? No. What makes the difference? Jesus and his words make all the difference. He can raise the dead as easily as we can wake up a person who is sleeping. All these situations beyond our power, beyond our control, are not beyond his power and control. In fact, each situation is a mini picture of the ultimate salvation that Jesus came to achieve through his death upon the cross and his resurrection. At the end of Mark, we're going to see how much it cost Jesus to achieve salvation for all these suffering people. The man who was called himself Legion came to Jesus in a state of nakedness, isolation. He was outside the walls of the city. He was torn and tortured and bleeding and dying. And then he's restored. What did it cost Jesus? Well, at the end of Mark, we see Jesus naked, isolated, outside the city, tortured, bleeding, shouting from the cross to achieve this pardon, to achieve this forgiveness. He swaps places with us to give us health and healing and restoration. And this woman uh, slowly dying with her bleeding. Uh, her healing comes because what Jesus would accomplish on the cross in his bleeding and dying and rising. And so he can say, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Isaiah, 700 years before, prophesied about this ministry of Jesus. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. Trusting Jesus and his words can make all the difference. Jesus is bigger than the terrible deeds. Disaster, demons, disease and death. He's committed himself to be our Saviour. Is he your saviour? I mean, what's causing you fear and anxiety today? Is it bigger than Jesus? Is it more than he can handle from what we have seen today? So how will you respond today? You know, this is my third point. We've got two responses, haven't we? We can either respond with fear or faith. It's easy to say we're trusting Jesus, but not so easy to put this into practice. You know, on a summer's day when the sun is out, that rare moment in Scotland when life is going well, it's quite easy to say, well, yes, I trust in Jesus. But what happens when you are in the raging storm? Will we respond with fear or faith? That's always the choice, fear or faith. That was the choice for the disciples in the boat. Their response is very human. They panic. Let's be real. When things get tough for us, isn't this more often how we respond? I mean, there are many reasons in these events why faith is hard. Um, the disciples are facing imminent disaster. They, they think they're facing death and Jesus is fast asleep in the boat. I mean, there are times and circumstances in our lives where it feels as if God has fallen asleep. 
being in the boat with Jesus at first doesn't seem to make a bit of difference to their predicament. Uh, because we're the ones left behind struggling with the winds and the waves and we feel all alone in that struggle. Well, for the woman with a chronic medical problem, faith can be hard because Jesus seems unaware of a problem. There she is uh, suffering anonymously in a huge crowd as Jesus is moving past. Twelve years is such a long time to struggle with a disease like this. We can struggle with burdens and setbacks for a long time. And even though we've prayed, nothing much seems to have happened. Trusting God when nothing seems to be changing is hard. But compare her with Jairus. I mean, she puts her faith in Jesus and touches his garments and walks away healed. He puts his faith in Jesus, falling on his feet, begging him to come and heal a sick daughter. And look what happens. His daughter dies. Why does Jesus appear to delay when we are in so much distress? Why does God take such a long time to answer our prayers and sometimes never seems to answer? At times as Christians, we give way to fear. Look at verse 40. Jesus seems disappointed in chapter 4, verse 40 with the disciples. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now, why this rebuke? Look at their attitude in verse 38. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And what they're questioning here is whether Jesus cares. That must have stung. Having spent all this time with Jesus, uh, what saddens Jesus perhaps is that they still do not trust him, that, that he is caring for them. What is the antidote when we are feeling overwhelmed by fear and anxiety? It is to realize and recall how much bigger Jesus is than the things we fear. See, when our view of Jesus is small, then life circumstances will be large and overwhelming and cause us great fear. But when we get the, the, the identity of Jesus correct and understand who he is and why he came, and when we see what a great savior we have in Jesus, then our present circumstances can be put into perspective. We need to get the identity of Jesus clear in our minds. Uh, look at chapter 4 verse 40, 41 they were terrified and asked each other who is this even the wind and the waves obey him who is this just a teacher not much use in a storm not much use when people are dying but Jesus is so much more than a teacher isn't he he is the son of God this is God come in human flesh. He's God's Messiah King who can turn a storm into calm, torment into peace, disease into health, death into resurrection, life. What a saviour. And perhaps there are friends listening to this who've not yet personally put their trust and faith in this Jesus. What's holding you back, friend? Do you know a better saviour? Do you know a better king to entrust your life to than Jesus? Are you nervous? Are you anxious about what others might think of you if you were to identify yourself with Jesus? But when you come to see that you do need him, that you do need him to save you, then follow the example of the older woman in this story. Reach out and touch Jesus in faith today. He has the power and the authority to save you. This salvation came at great cost. His own death on the cross but you need to receive it. It doesn't happen automatically. You need to receive Jesus, the one who rose from the dead, and rely on him for your salvation. And you can do this simply by talking to God. The simplest heartfelt prayer will do it. Sorry, thank you, please. Sorry for my sin. Thank you that you're the saviour who paid for my sin in your death on the cross. 
Please forgive me. Please change me to have you in charge of my life, Jesus. And to my anxious Christian friends, listen to me now. What will we do with our fears today? Listen to the words first spoken to Jairus as he received the worst news ever. They are the words from Jesus to us. Do not be afraid. Just believe.